Welcome to the Cycling Performance Club podcast, a weekly podcast where a panel of scientists, pro cyclists, and cutting-edge coaches discuss topics in training, performance, science, and all things cycling. The show is co-hosted by Cyrus Monk, who is a pro cyclist and cycling coach, Damien Roos, who is a professional cycling coach and author of the Cycling Science Digest, and then there's also me, Dr. Jason Boynton, sports scientist and cycling coach. The Cycling Performance Club podcast is recorded live in the presence of an online audience on the Clubhouse app. So you can join in and ask questions or participate in any of the discussions as we are having them. This week, we will be discussing some cyclist case studies that we have made up. So basically, we are going to read off individuals to the other two coaches in the room, and they're going to give their feedback and what they think on those individuals' goals. Is that how you guys are taking it? Yep. Yep. No. Just some real quick housekeeping here. We're actually going to take a bye week next week. So we're just going to have, take the week off because Cyrus is traveling for racing and won't have his quit, equipment with him. So, and we're, this is episode 12 that we're recording right now. And it'd be just good to have a little bit of downtime for a second. So that'll give everyone hopefully some time to catch up on listening to the old podcast that we still have. Um, and then also just a follow-up on the interval pacing uh, episode from last week. One thing that I didn't get the chance to mention was uh, I think, Damien, you said something about 90% heart rate and using 90% heart rate to represent and find 90% of VO2 max. Yes, correct. And I will say that I fell into that trap myself. And then when I actually had the data in front of me, uh, looking at 90% VO2 max from intervals versus what the 90% of max heart rate is, and they are very different. So, uh, and I think it 90% of max heart rate from what I, the trend I was seeing is actually too low. So it would actually have to be a higher heart rate to match what the uh, VO2 max is. So you were digging into VO2 max tests that you've done in the lab? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, actually, the VO2 that we were taking during interval sessions. Yeah. Okay. And where that gets tricky and how you would have to do that is you'd have to do the graded exercise test um, and then and then go into the graded exercise test, see where 90% VO2 max is in there, and then correspond that with a heart rate, right? Instead of Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, it, it, mm-hmm. yeah, is mm-hmm. there a rule here? But it seems like if it's just going to have to be individualized... <laughs> go through the trouble mm-hmm. of figuring out how you're actually responding personally. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. And then we were also, last week we were kind of puzzled about why that Tour de France rider would have had the intervals that were stepping the other way. And we were just totally puzzled about that. And I actually, when I was listening to the podcast last night, I was like, oh, I wonder if this is basically an attempt at being a graded exercise test. And this is how this athlete's coach has prescribed them the efforts um, because they're thinking, well, at the end of a graded exercise test, you've hit VO2 max. So if I give them intervals that look like a graded exercise test, they'll hit VO2 max. So that was 
what I thought that maybe potentially might be going on. I, I, I wouldn't recommend it, I think, but that's one potential. So in that case, you potentially be building up hit VO2 max and then, um, this thing of when you stop, but it keeps going. So you, you actually, it's not just for 30 seconds when you're maxing yourself out, potentially you're trying to keep the response going for a little bit after you've finished as well. Is that what um, it did? Was it, did it continue? I also didn't really see how hard the steps were, but that was one thought I had was that maybe they were, did it that way because they were thinking a graded exercise test gets to VO2 max and I will step this interval session or this interval like a VO2 max session, but I I don't know. Um, I'd have to look at the protocol. I think, yeah, for for me, the, the simplest conclusion is what um, Cyrus said. It just kind of mimics the end of a stage. Like it's a, Mm -hmm. where you're just lifting the pace until you have to sprint for the win. Yeah. Yep. Race simulation. Yep. Yep. There's There's another way to look at it as well. So with that said, we'll get into our case studies here. And I think, so what, how we laid it out was each one of us came up with an individual and we are going to pose this individual to the other two coaches. And then those coaches are going to give their feedback, um, and try to guide that athlete or give some kind of rough plan. And actually where this was inspired was we do this or we did this during my uh, level one coaching clinic. So, and it was kind of our like group testing. That's how we were supposed to pass the course is we got together as a group and we put our thoughts together on this athlete that we were, uh, we were given their profile and their goals. And we were supposed to present to the rest of the group um, how we would improve this rider's performance and help them to their goals. Yeah, so I thought we could do that today and uh, maybe hopefully have a little bit of, have some fun with it. Um, and hopefully maybe some some people out there would get some ideas and see how the process works. So uh, without further ado, um, I think Cyrus is going to give his yep. individual first. So I will outline a bit about my individual and then you guys can dig a bit further into that if you are so inclined. But her name is Sarah. She is 34 years old. She has been a triathlete for the last 12 years and she has recently had to have a month of doing nothing due to a stress fracture while training up for her first Ironman and this is a recurring problem that she's had and that has pursued her to seek cycling coaching. So she wants to now switch across from triathlon to road cycling. She's been in triathlon for quite a long time. She has obviously that training age there of around 12 years and she's competed in a few half Ironmans but was never able to train for the full Ironman without suffering injuries so that's that's brought her across to road cycling her Mm -hmm. goals are to start with she wants to race her first road race and she's really nervous about doing this and doesn't know how to go about training for it or preparing for it she wants to ride this is uh we'll say she's coming on at 
the start of the year. So in in January, she's signing up and she really wants to ride a big grand fundo that's in her hometown in September. And that grand fundo is 120Ks. So there's different goals there that she has in mind. And she has only, yeah, she ha- doesn't have any road racing experience whatsoever. She's come across from triathlon. So I'll start with Damien. What, how would you start in this situation? Well, it seems like she has a good endurance background. So the actual uh, physiological base for endurance is there. Maybe there's not intensity or the, um, or the regular training on a bike. You know, generally with triathlon, you're splitting it between three sports. So you're not getting so much time on the bike. So it's just kind of a matter of adjusting to all of the time she has and then allocating most of that to the bike. Yep. Um, I would be looking at the race program to see what type of races are available. Um to try and start looking at how the year would be planning out because those goals kind of build on each other. Yeah. So the, the, there's the first one of getting in a race, which if it's a club race, you know, it could be sort of 40, 50 kilometers long. And then there's the Fondo. And then so they kind of all build towards the harder one in my mind. Yeah. The big thing that's missing here, obviously, is the skills. Yeah. So that would be something that needs to be focused on, um, actually learning how to ride in a bunch and things like that. Yep. Yeah, that's that's definitely something that obviously triathletes cop a lot of flack for. And I think that's where you would then have to uh, ask, also get some background from the athlete on what kind of bunch riding they've done before. Because you will see many triathletes are still going out for their their bunch rides in, in in big bunches, whichever city they're in. So they they might have a much better skills background than you're thinking, or they might be a complete Jason Derulo flying solo every training session, and they've yeah yet to ride in a bunch at all. So that's definitely going to be a big factor. Jason, do you have any other initial thoughts to add to that? Um, does she need a new bike? Getting into the skills thing because um, she might have just bought a time trial bike or a tri bike and just never got onto a regular road bike. So I'd be asking about that, and yep. I'd also and I'd also be curious about whether she had a power meter. Yeah, obviously that I think that's going to come up with every single athlete here. Yeah, and then the other thing is, is if the time trial bike is the really nice bike, you know, and she does have a road bike, well, maybe the road bike isn't really that great either but that's maybe it has some heavy wheels or something like that so you're definitely going to want to kind of um, maybe ask about the, the bike situation there and then the other thing is i'd probably want to get some kind of power profile on her pretty quick because yeah. it might be one of these things where she might have been a good endurance athlete and she enjoys it but she might be in there because it's she's well suited for it or she might be in there because she just liked it and there yeah. might be better things that she can do. Like she yeah. might be a really good sprinter and not even, and never have tried it. Yeah. Right. Because that's not going to be exposed in a triathlon. Yeah. And that's your best scenario, right? Is yeah. that if she wants to move into road cycling, you hope that she has some high end power because she's going to need it. Otherwise she's just going to drag everybody around. Right. But th- This is where you would start the process for that road, mm-hmm. for that road goal. 
because if mm-hmm. it's an open goal, yeah, it could be a crit, could be anything. Mm-hmm. So doing yeah, doing that power profile first, and then kind of looking at potentially um, where her strengths are, and then guiding into the specific type of event she she might be able to aim for and do well at. Yeah. So to get to get her power profile, where are you where are you going to start there? What's the 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 starting point if you're you're trying to yeah basically so if we're talking a power profile just for the listeners we're essentially looking at what kind of power they can produce over all time intervals available so you're looking at what power they can produce for five seconds twenty a minute five minutes twenty minutes and then from yeah twenty minutes onwards it, it's going to be important to note if she's already able to sustain a high power for five hours as well that's going to help for her goals down down the line so we're trying to establish that kind of profile and that's obviously something we look at in training peaks quite a lot but how jason you can go first this time how would you go about establishing that power profile for this athlete first of all i'd i'd want to be assessing her bike's handling skills yep because if you're going to get into something like a five second power effort you want to be able to show that they have enough skills to do that and they don't end up on the ground. <laughs> yeah. So safety is always really important. And that was something else when we were talking about, she could go into a crit and you're like, okay, well, how big are these crits around her? How comfortable is she riding in a pack? You know, you might be able to get away with that with a younger rider where yeah. you throw them in that situation. But someone that is 34 might have you know, the day job to consider and, you know, she could be a surgeon or something like that and have to worry, really worry about her hands. You, you never know it, occupations and things like that and the levels of how safe they want to, you know, cause this is something that's going to be a little bit more dangerous for her than triathlon. Yeah. yeah. But getting back into the, the power profile, I don't necessarily like the way the power profile is set up in training peaks. I like the 30 second effort over the one minute makes more sense in terms of giving input into the anaerobic ability of the rider. And then it also corresponds well with wing gates. And then, um, yeah, then a five second power just to kind of see what kind of, kind of sprint ability they have. And then a five minute power. And I would imagine, obviously you're going to have to do, if you're going to do use FTP and the training peak system, then yeah, you're going to have to do a 20 minute power at some point, but I'd, you probably have a lot of uh, race data to kind of see what kind of steady efforts she, she can do if she's been yeah. racing with a power meter. Yep. So you probably have a good handle on that. And then obviously then a good like five-minute power, three-minute power type thing to kind of see how, she, how she'd be able to handle that kind of effort as well. Yep. So that's basically what I would be looking at. Damien, would you be doing anything different to that? Not really. When I said um, when I'm going after uh, the first values – to set baselines, I'll knock off five seconds, one minute, four or five minute, and then a 20 minute. Yep. And then that will be the baseline uh, measures that I have. Probably will only do that in a season once more. Everything yep. else would be sort of ad hoc testing or using the, um, the data from training and racing. But I would be doing the same thing. I'd be trying to look at the history to see if that's any indication of um, how it matches where the baseline is now. If she's just come from a month off, then it just yeah. may be under-reporting. Yeah. So um, we'd just be very cautious when setting yeah. that FTP, using as much info, and then kind of it would probably be building pretty rapidly in the first couple of months. 
Yeah. Uh, so just making sure that the FTP matches the RPE, the, the, the way the effort feels, um, and getting a lot of feedback like that so we can sort of go up and down and adjust yeah. that way. And I think this is almost a, a free kick for a, a coach. It's um, an easy score when you've got an athlete that's come off a month off like this because doing that baseline testing, it's going to be pretty low levels. And regardless of the program, it could be absolutely rubbish. And in a month's time, she's going to be doing better numbers. So mm-hmm. it's... But the, uh, the, the easy score as well is say someone is new to doing a 20-minute test. Yeah. So they're yeah. just not, not pacing it well or whatever. And then, you know, a couple, you do a couple more and you get better. The numbers yep. get better. Um, mm-hmm. But Yeah. And that's, that, that's un- unfortunately something that can be difficult as a coach as well is that the best way to get better at testing is just to practice the test usually Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. and you see it as well in studies and that's why we need the control group in so many studies because if you expose athletes to a test they've never done before and then expose them to it again over a period of weeks they'll generally just get better regardless of what the intervention is so Mm -hmm. that's why something definitely that you need to be paying attention to as a coach as well so moving on from the power uh, go on, Jason. You can add something. Uh, I think I think the other thing that I might I might do is a lot of times in that situation, if I know they're coming off a, a long time off the bike, I might just kick the can down the road on the on the testing, yeah, and just try to you know it means I don't get the model and as much, and it's a little bit more wonky in how to prescribe the intervals. Yeah, but sometimes it's just better just to wait instead of having that that not so great number just staring them in the face and then having to just to test them again anyways yeah so that's another and consideration this might be something where it's yeah important to have that contact and communication with the athlete to mm-hmm. develop uh basically a, a psych profile of the athlete to work out whether this testing could be dangerous in terms of not from a safety perspective but from a mental perspective of is this athlete going to react badly to seeing numbers and then looking up some norms and going, Jesus, why am I way down on on what's normal? I'm never going to be a cyclist. <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah that is that is the danger of doing testing, especially if they're not um, as fit as they might usually be. Yeah. But if they're not fit, I think we kind of insinuated this, or is that then it makes you look really good when their numbers just jump? Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that aside, yeah. yeah. It, and the other thing is too is like if sometimes if you, um, you know, with interval sessions or something like that, if you're if they're doing interval sessions, it's it's not necessarily a twenty minute test, but you can gauge pretty well from there. Yeah, uh, a lot of times what their twenty minute power is going to be off of, off of some of the interval sessions you might prescribe them, yeah, or at least give a, a a decent estimate. Yeah, and I think the important thing to note there is that it's clearly just not a one size fits all. Like every athlete you get, here's my one week testing protocol where you do all these tests on a different day because each athlete is going to be different and coming from a different situation there. So I think that's an important thing to note with the coaching process, but. Moving on from the power profiling, she really wants to get into this first race. So what would be the way, Damien, you can start this time? How? What are some steps you'd go to preparing for this? So she's been training for um, a month now and she 
wants to to get stuck into this first race so what's what's the preparation for this this is the process of being a member of a club and choosing the right club i guess because there is in good clubs there is a process to help people get to that first race so yep. whether it's a um, a skills clinic or some mm-hmm. type of mentoring to get in i've seen specifically um, there is a lot of uh, women's mentoring groups where you'll actually get assigned uh, an experienced rider and then they'll take you through the process and even take you to the first race. Sometimes they have, uh, you know, these races where it's like a practice race. It, it's sort of yeah. on the same day as all the other groups, but they have a lead. Yeah. yeah, they have a lead rider and you kind of yeah. um, working together. So finding the best one in the area. Uh, would yeah. be my recommendation um, mm-hmm. because think, they're, they're good. I, I think they're really, yeah. really good. And this is a really important note for just being a female athlete. This is a male-dominated sport, so that is often the most daunting thing for females trying to get into it is if they show up to their first race and there's no other females there, which unfortunately at a lot of club racing tends to be the case. So that's going to be a massive turnoff for women if there's no one that they can look up to or learn off that's in a similar similar situation because they're not even of the the same gender let alone a lot of other factors so if there is groups that you can help them get into and be made aware of that are going to support them in that process then it firstly takes a bit of a load off you as the coach and then also is going to mean that she has other people to learn off as well, which is going to be beneficial to her development. Yeah, and I'd say on, on the flip side of turning up and no one being there, there has been a pretty good response over the last 10 years where there has been groups formed, whether they're training groups, club groups, um, where it is encouraging more uh, participation and skills. So that's where you just have to hunt and hope in the local area that that there is some a program like this yeah yeah and sometimes i know for when i was in wisconsin we did have practice crits uh every wednesday night i believe um but they were only for like maybe a month or two so you also have to kind of consider that when when those are going to happen uh maybe in australia maybe they're over a a longer period of time because you guys have better weather and a longer seasons um, but in lieu of those really uh, nice structured uh, practice races and things like that, uh, I think the next step would just be fast group rides and th- things yeah, like that. Definitely. Uh, that's assuming that, you know, her um, pack riding skills are there. Yeah. And this is where it can be difficult as a coach if you're coaching someone from outside the area and it it's just networking really comes into it if you know the area or know someone in the area so that Mm -hmm. you can then um yeah have an idea of what group rides are available there and then also some of this yeah comes comes down to the athlete because that's ultimately their Mm -hmm. choice which group ride they like like personally my athletes i'm not going to tell them to go and ride on a group ride for people that they don't want to ride with so it's always going to be the the athlete choice in this instance but yeah i Definitely am a big advocate for group rides as both race simulation and skills practice. Obviously, again, as Jason sort of pointed out, firstly, safety's got to come first. So really have to be careful, especially with a rider that may not have ridden in a group before. You're not going to chuck them into the hell ride in Melbourne straight away, which is 
pretty mm-hmm. notorious for crashes at the the back of the bunch. You're going but, to be. But I, so you know, I was just going to say, I even think uh, we, aside from racing, finding a program just for the the group riding stuff, which there is plenty of in yeah. in places. Yeah. Um, just to just before even thinking about racing. Yeah. And uh, the, yeah, then just start to build that social network. I think is important. Yeah, and that's obviously going to be good for the longevity of the athlete as well which is something that's important. You don't want them just ticking off that race done and then thinking, all right, that's done. <laughs> that's done now. You sort of want to, ideally, you'd like to keep people in the sport. So, mm-hmm. and that's also maybe going to be something that's different for a triathlete is they'll generally do maybe one or two races a year, whereas road racing is going to be quite different. So I think it's important to maybe take some pressure off the race results in a way because you can say, well, this is your first race. If it doesn't go well, there's the same race on the next week, often <laughs> in the same place. So mm-hmm. there's it is a really different sport in that sense in that you're not training for huge amounts of time for a single event. There is yeah, often many opportunities throughout a season. Um, so we'll move on from the first race and now she's got a few races under her belt. She's really enjoying it. The numbers are starting to improve and she wants to target this Grand Fondo and we'll say she really wants to beat her brother-in-law who doesn't ride much and is going to show up and ride it on the same day. So what kind of differences between the race prep and the Grand Fondo prep are we looking at, assuming that most of our races have been around the one or two hour mark and this Grand Fondo is going to be a, a hilly 120k. Uh, Jason, you can go first. Yeah, I'm hoping it's not going to be a huge switch for her coming from that Ironman background. Um, yep. Just having the long rides already in uh, and having... Uh, 120 kilometers is, I mean, not that big of a deal if you're used to 112. I think that's yeah. the, um, yeah, my, my biggest thing would be kind of trying to figure out what, with that is what the race profile is. Yep. Is it a lot of fat, uh, flat rolly stuff, which in that case, um, then we're going to probably have to get back to teaching strategy and pack riding skills and hopefully just get her with uh, the fastest group that she can stick with yep. um, and just try to have her hang on. And if it's something where you think there might be a, some separation, um, something that's really hilly, then, then yeah, we're going to have to like, kind of figure out where, um, again, you probably want to try to keep her with a group of fast people as long as possible. Yep. Um, and then you'd be looking at those places where separation might be happening. Yeah. But yeah, then again, just kind of trying to build up her fitness, her aerobic of fitness as, as best as possible. And, you know, Grand Fondos generally aren't really super technical because, again, it's just about anybody who can rock up and do them. Yeah. I'm assuming it's not going to be a huge jump for her. And if she ever goal is, to, I think it's a lot easier to beat one person I mean, yeah. it's, as opposed to wanting a podium or something like that. Yeah. You want to, you want to, power profile him and just beat him stay on his wheel all race and just sprint around him yeah yeah Yeah, without knowing what things are like for him uh i think 
then it is a good point to... you are bringing up there in that if you're taking someone that's come across from playing playing hockey or like or weightlifting or like a completely well hockey's somewhat endurance sport but the fact she's coming from triathlon means that you're not going to have to change as much where if it's if it's someone else that's just come from a a short um non-endurance sport and they've got into crits it is going to then be another big jump to get to grand fondo so it is important this is another case where yeah you you have to respect the differences between athletes and in this instance it's going to mean you're not doing as much in other instances like the the bunch skills for example you are putting more emphasis on that and this is one where she has that aerobic base already so it's something that you aren't going to have to target as much and it's a bit of an easier job as a coach because she's got a lot of that there already yeah in some ways because she has the base maybe you're not even doing necessarily like um long kind of threshold stuff or any or the climbing pace to try and match what the course is like maybe you have to do some higher intensity uh yep. to to try and lift everything up from the yep. top um so it, it might be completely different training if it was someone that's brand new and needs to build that aerobic base there yeah right i think we've we've covered sarah there unless either of you guys have anything to add there no cool thanks thanks for your input on sarah hopefully i i get a sarah a 34 year old triathlete now because i've got all this info to uh to add to her plan <laughs> so if there is any <laughs> revisit the podcast yeah, yeah if there is any 34 year old triathletes you know at all I just wanted to take a quick break here to say thanks for stopping by and listening to the show and to give you a quick reminder about who we are and where you can find us. The show is a collaborative project between sports scientist and cycling coach Dr. Jason Boynton, professional cyclist and cycling coach Cyrus Monk, and myself, Damien Roos, professional cycling coach and author of the Cycling Science Digest. If you want to get in touch with any of us or find out more about what we do, check out the show notes of this episode for links to each of our websites or social media accounts. Also, a reminder that you could be part of the show too. We host the show live on Clubhouse every week. Just search Clubhouse for the Cycling Performance Club and you'll see our scheduled room. And with that, let's get back into it. Alrighty. Uh, I think it's my turn. Yep. So my individual is a master's rider uh, named Bobby Mustang. <laughs> and um, he is 58 years young. He's 80 kilograms, 179 centimeters tall. He lives in Milton, Wisconsin, which happens to be the small town that I grew up in. His occupation is he is a professor at the UW-Whitewater. He's married, has two kids. Uh, the youngest is in their last year of high school. The, the athlete's history is that they have been a cycling enthusiast for the past three years. And uh, one year of that was uh, a full racing season in the Cat Fours. So he did as many races as he could in Wisconsin um, during that season. And so far right now, he's just self-coached. 
his other athlete, athlete history is and he did cross-country running in high school, and he ran D1 uh, cross-country in college. Um, but then he got married and had kids, but he, and so that meant his athletic competition was, came down to, uh, nothing until the kids were old enough. And then after that, he did one sprint try per year. Uh, and then other than that, he was just doing like normal kind of, um, gym training maybe three, four times a week for an hour. Uh, so nothing super focused for a large portion of his life after the um, uh, being a cross-country racer. He does have a power meter. <clears throat> um, he has a local cycling group that he rides with on Tuesday, night, Tuesday nights. The, uh, the uh, Kettle Moraine Flyers, they leave from the LaGrange General Store. <laughs> Um, season his season goals for this year is to hopefully win his first bike race in the Cat 4 I should say he races he goes back and forth between Masters Cat 4 and Cat 4 because those would both be occurring in the US Um, and his long term goal is he wants to hopefully get on the podium at Masters Nationals Road or Masters National, yeah. And um, so his, some of his limitations is as a professor, his workload is going to fluctuate. So, you know, it'd be less in the summer, but, you know, around exams and the start of the semester, it's going to be a little bit heavier. Um, yeah, um, that's basically Bobby, Professor Bobby Mustang. Um, do you guys have any questions about him? Um, no. but let's just so let's um, yeah any questions I think you've covered covered Bobby pretty well uh, okay so far and yeah so let's just talk about those two things um, this his season goals uh, for next year where it's a uh, fall right now he's contacting us in the fall he's thinking ahead which is good and so his season goals for next year is winning that first bike race and um Long-term goal is, uh, again, the Masters Nationals road podium. Yep. So I think... Damien or Cyrus, you want to go first? The first thing I'm noting here is a lot is already booked out in the weekly program. So, like, you've, you've got his time with his family, his work time, and his ride on Tuesday night, and then he's probably going to be, during the season at least having his one or two races a week. So that really only leaves you maybe three days in there by the time you have some recovery days and with the time that he has allocated. So it's kind of you've only got three sessions a week that you're going to be able to give him to get that work done and make a difference. And this is, this is during the season. But he did come nice and early. So yeah. that would be in the peak summer racing season before yeah, so that. that- that's yeah. during the season, yeah. So obviously before that, this this is what I'm getting to here, is before that is where you want to be making the big gains and that's where he's going to be getting ahead of his competition during the winter. And I think it's a big thing in the US more so than Australia is a lot of people do seem to hang up the bike 
or do way less in winter. So that's somewhere where you can get a huge advantage on, he might get a huge advantage on his opponents. So immediately I'd be having those discussions with him and and letting him know that it's probably going to be an intensive winter to get those gains. And then that way he's going to be able to then just hopefully maintain throughout the season, but he's starting at much higher level than he would have before. Mm-hmm. That would be my, my first thoughts on Bobby. Yeah, I'd start factoring all this stuff in. I would focus on the goal of winning the first race. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you do that? You, For me, you match something that either they've come close in winning before, so just by chance that they know this race is good for them, or finding that race that matches the type of rider they are um, based on their power profile, based on what they like, um, based on the actual race, the conditions itself, um, and trying to work backwards from there because that would set the timing of the plan and what you're doing and when. Um, But trying to hack that a little bit so it may not be an obvious race. It could be an early season race. It, could, it just, all these things can change depending on what is that target race and mm-hmm. uh, the conditions around that. So um, I would put a lot of focus in, in working out that because then everything kind of flows from there. Then you see where they're at and then you try and match that to what the Nationals course looks like and what type of training they have to do to fill gaps, performance gaps in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. uh, yeah. Building on that, I'm that first race win. Yeah, I'm really thinking get that as early as possible. Obviously, that's going to be the goal. But um, the the easiest time if you've got someone that's committed to a training program, often the best time for them to get results is when there hasn't been any racing because if people are doing similar race programs and we have talked about this with professionals uh, before as well, if people are doing similar amounts of racing, everyone will essentially just end up at similar amounts of fitness. Now, obviously the one or two races each weekend isn't going to have quite the same effect, but if, yeah, as sort of noted before, a lot of people over winter aren't putting in the hours and aren't putting in the work during those sessions. That's where you can really try and get a leg up on the competition. So you're targeting, looking specifically at that first month of racing and picking out some from the, as Damien said, the power profile of your athlete, looking at what races might suit them and picking out a few that you might go, right, we're really going to target these. And then if you can get that first win, then it sort of boosts the confidence of the athlete straight away. They're going to have then more confidence in the training program going forward and then also just creates that culture of winning so winning becomes normal for them and it's going to be so much easier to see results later in the year as opposed to... Starting off slowly, it's if you're waiting a while for that for that win, it can then become the norm to to keep finishing in the top five or the top ten, but not actually snagging that win. So I'd be really focusing on getting that win early in the season. How would you time it as far as training across, you know, whatever it is, ten months or something? 
maybe before the nationals race. How would you time it? Because there is that risk if you have a huge winter and then you just can't keep building from that point, especially because you've got all these other limitations. Yeah, I think I think in this case you are going to have to work around so many other factors that it's almost impossible to put in a, a long-term 10-month plan because this guy's obviously got his family and his job. At some point, he's going to go on a vacation with his with his family as well because that's just what families do. And you, it's going to obviously depend on the commitment of the athlete, but uh, most guys aren't going to be putting their prep for the nationals first, even though it might be a goal, they're going to be having their family and their, their job first in this instance. So it's, I think, going to be a case of working with what you've got and just being adaptable in this sense. So, yeah, the that work that you can do over winter, that's going to create adaptations that are still going to be there in June when the national championships are. So I think... Yeah, there is obviously the risk in doing that big load over winter that uh, it may yeah, put too much stress on, but that's where you're going to have to be adaptable and be looking for those signs of overtraining before it's too late. Okay. And did you have any other thoughts on that first season goal there or uh, Damien? It, for me, it's just being wary of how long a season can be and... There are natural ups and downs when somebody isn't focused on cycling as their first thing. So you can get to a point where you just are losing fitness because of life that gets in the way. So then you have a chance to build back up. But I think part of this hacking of the first win by looking at all the other factors, not necessarily peaking someone for that race becomes more important because you can do a slower build and you can get you can not have as much fitness earlier on when you're going for that win so i think just this consideration of just slowly sort of building someone up um you can get through that process as well like i don't know if this person's going to plan some training camps or something or some overload Mm -hmm. weeks where they knock back their commitments a little bit which allows them to step up their fitness but um I think I just I just I'm always wary about putting too much in over winter and just not being able to hold it and then everything starts to tank including motivation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've had that conversation before this year about about athletes at their at the end of that about how they're getting getting antsy about racing and um especially if you get they push themselves really hard through the through the winter. Um but uh, I have uh, what we forgot to do with you, Cyrus, is have you give your thoughts on your athlete. But so I'll move on to some of my thoughts, just so because this is actually I kind of cheated here since I and uh, you know I grew up in Wisconsin and you guys grew up in Australia, so I'll give you some insights on some of the the tricks of the trade here. Um, so what I would do with this athlete is first I wouldn't make assumptions about their schedule. Um, because you, they might have a very supporting family. The reason why I said the youngest was, uh, in her last year of high school, a lot of times that means that they're going to have a lot of 
free schedule, a lot of free time. If the, if the daughter's, the other kid is away at college or something like that. So I always, I always pry into that um, to see what their life is like. And the, and I ask, you know, how many hours per day, per specific day they can, they can give. And you'd be surprised how many uh, hours that people will a lot um, when they, when they have that goal in mind. So I, I would be careful about, obviously their life goals are, their, their life outside of cycling is very important, but I always, I always would ask them to see how, how much they can actually put in for training. Um, and the other thing that I was trolling you guys a little bit with was 80 kilograms and 179 centimeters. So that 179 centimeters is going to be about five foot 10 for the Americans out there. And 80 kilograms is about 176 pounds. And the reason why I gave those measurements is because I won't, I was looking for you guys to ask how much fat does this guy have? How much, what's his percent body fat? Because oh, I was, I was way, I was going to say, well, he's about, he's about five, 10 kilograms overweight. So, um, that's one thing I always would ask about masters riders, especially with this. He, you know, he was a cyclic, he was, um, a cross country runner. Uh, so he had that athlete life, which means you, a lot of times you might have that athlete appetite. And then once you get married and everything, like you're going to put on some, some weight. Um, so I tried to build him so that he would look generally fit, but would put some weight on. Um, so that would be one thing I would be asking if I try to, uh, get a video conference with my athletes, uh, so that I can kind of, you know, not like, well, just get an idea of how much they weigh and what their percent body fat is. And then we have to have that, that honest conversation, especially with masters riders. Um, maybe not so much with your 34 year old Ironman competitor. Um, but more so with a gentleman in this situation, I think, uh, the other thing that when you're, what I found that works really well, and I think you guys were, were, we're getting around it pretty well was this idea of training over the winter. And usually my strategy with athletes there is, um, if you get a, the, the winter in Wisconsin is, is always up in the air. Like you never know how it's going to be. So if you get a really motivated athlete and the, and the winter is really bad, then they're going to have an advantage on their competitors. Even if they're not at the fitness, they might've been at the year before. So you always have to kind of consider what the other people are doing and, and you'd be surprised at how low the motivation is for people, um, is if, uh, if the, if the weather's really bad. So in that scenario with a new guy in a crappy winter, you could actually get him really fit and, and it gets into this idea of, and then since he's new with you, I think that first, that first winter is going to be pretty, they're going to be pretty motivated. The, the, the chance of burnout, I think, is going to be pretty low. And the other thing that I kind of bank on is with athletes in this situation is when they come in and they're way fitter than everybody else, and that's the first time they fit it, they felt it, the, the, the morale just increases. And that will take you in really good places. Um, so, again, we were talking about 
the physiological limiters versus just, you know, the old hat and type of things. And it more comes down to a mental place, your mindset. And, and so you could have the exact same amount of training and you could have their athlete be burnt out one year and then you could have them be totally on point the next year. Um, and it really just kind of comes down to some factors. Um, but if they come out and out of the gate and they're doing really well in races, you'd be surprised how well that carries them through the season. And in my experience, uh, in, in those type of, in that type of climate. Uh, and then the, the other thing I was thinking about, we didn't really get into the Masters Nationals road podium, um, but for a Cat 4, that's going to be a struggle. Um, but he's going to need a few more racing years. So what I would do in this case for the Masters Road Nationals podium is I would maybe not the first year, but like the second year, I would try to get him out to um, Road Nationals so he could experience it and not necessarily go for the podium. If he got the podium, that'd be great. But um, one thing, again, about his age, I put his age at a specific time as well, at 58. And one thing you can do with Masters is he's 58 his and his next category up will be 60. So he has maybe two years with me training. And then when he turns 60, he will be one of the youngest people in that five-year master's category. And arguably, that's probably one of the best times to go because he's young, one of the younger people in that grade. And when you get older, the, your age matters. So um, it's almost the inverse of what we see with the hockey players. Um and, and the age with them and how well and how many of them go to pro. Uh, so having him be younger. So I would actually try to put him on a more accelerated program to try to have him perform really well when he is in his early 60s and really try to focus on the podium then. Um, and then the other thing was just the being a professor, then he's going to have uh, the student schedule. So being in a winter, a, a place with winter, then, you know, you have the spring break. Hopefully he can get somewhere that's warm and hopefully his family will let him go somewhere. Maybe he can take the family with him to somewhere that's warm, like Arizona or something like that. If you're a professor, then you have that kind of income potentially yeah, to do that. Yeah, he's going to have money and to buy a, a bike too, which helps. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, 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 all that. And then there's, they have a month off in winter. So maybe he could even go to some nice places in Europe or something like that to get three weeks of training in um, uh, uh, before his season starts. So those are two blocks of time where he might have more time off. And being a professor, he he doesn't he's um, it's not like he doesn't have a lot of work, but he doesn't have to worry about tenure anymore. Right. So he's his schedule is probably going to be a little bit more relaxed. So that's also one of the things that I wanted to put in there um, for him. So he's a pretty good candidate for a a master's athlete. The only thing that would probably, you know, be better is if he was training more throughout his life. So um, then it's just a matter of, you know, like, like what would when we talked about the improving the athlete for seven, you know, just, putting them through the training program and see if they can uh, move through the ranks because you're going to want to have them 
move from that cat four into the cat two, cat one. So they're before they go to nationals, they're racing with people who are really experienced because they have to. They're going to have to pick up a lot of experience in a short amount of time and a few amount of years versus people who have been. You know, if I was this guy's age, I would have been racing for. 40 years at that point or something like that. Just a ridiculous amount of time. So um, I also made him a professor because it means he's smart and will pick things up and he could potentially be really cagey um, uh, and, and a crafty racer. And so, uh, again, that, those are some of the things that <clears throat> I think that would be uh, to his advantage um, and, and that guy. So... Yeah, uh, those are just some of my thoughts. I don't know if you guys had any uh, any comments on any of those things. That yeah, I think added, the but- important things you note <clears throat> there is a, a couple of free performance gains or easy performance gains as a coach is yeah the losing weight and the fact that he's got money and good holidays. Like they're the things that you, mm-hmm. as a coach, you can often just think, uh, yeah, I don't have to worry about that, but you also have to sort of be thinking, uh, I need to make use of that. Like if if he's doing all of this training, but um, yeah, is is still sitting with a lot of body fat, it's worth having the, the conversation about. And yeah, obviously it's a subject that you have to approach carefully with any athlete, but yeah, in mm-hmm. terms of encouraging encouraging them and explaining why if if they're working so hard to gain these ten watts and conversely could lose half a kilo and get a similar gain, so that's yeah mm-hmm. definitely the, those little things with any athlete are important to take into account when you're developing the training plan. Yep, uh, Damien, any thoughts? Uh, I just want to say, why hasn't anyone <laughs> mentioned strength training? <laughs> um Uh, oh gosh (laughs) but i do think it's important yeah um well he does have the gym there at the uw whitewater it's a nice facility okay okay (laughs) well we'll make sure that there Um, are some strength sessions then yeah yeah um yeah uh, we'll have that discussion for sure uh but uh, but i've got nothing i've got nothing constructive to add um Mm. You went very deep. I haven't even thought about my profile this deep. So, <laughs> mm. well, like I said, I uh, this this is a, a type of rider that I have a fair bit of experience with, um, and I, I enjoy working with. So I just brought. I just basically this rider is a conglomerate, like a, a combination of a bunch of riders that I've worked with, and one of my professors from uh, my my, uh, biology uh, mentor advisor from from my undergrad Pete Mesner if he's out there give him a little shout out but yeah combination of all those people yep so um, yeah Damien you've got the the big guns here you've got the well I feel like I've got the most straightforward one when when you have somebody that has That's why we saved you for last. <laughs> yeah, available time. Um, so, well, explain who you got first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go through that. Okay, so Ben, Ben Elliot, he's male. <laughs> he's in his second last year of uh, U23s. So l- next year will be his last year. Mm-hmm. He has a pretty good power 
profile, and we know it because he's he's been using power for a few years, and mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, like all rounder, so it's pretty flat. There's nothing that necessarily stands out. Has a good engine, um, athletic history. He played football or soccer until he was 15 and got injured, then switched over mm-hmm. to cycling. So he's kind of late to the sport in some ways, but he did get mm-hmm. to race national under-19 events and nationals in the past, but no great results, top 20s kind of results. Um, he worked with a club coach before uh, in his first year, but he has self-coached since. Mm-hmm. He wants to get noticed. He wants to move up in cycling. So right now he's with a team, like a national style team, but he wants to he wants to take the next step, whatever that means. Is, is he in a semi-pro team? He's type is a undercontinental. He's not even in continental. So he's in like a national series. Whatever you team. call that, a national series team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what country? He let's say Australia for okay. ease, 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 and, ease, and ease. difficulty, <laughs> ease in case study, <laughs> yes. difficulty in reality, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, he wants to get noticed. So whether that's from uh, the national series that he has to race certain races at, whether that's at nationals itself in a time trial or road race, um, that's that's the main goal, and he's giving himself one year next season. Uh, to make the next, to get noticed and make that next step. Currently, it's, this is like real life. There's no racing. So he's just riding around and he's doing up to 18 hours a week. Uh, But he has no real limitations outside of that. He has a job, part-time job. He does university part-time. But he is- Those are his parents. Lives with his parents. um, And they're supporting his- Racing habit. Yes, everything here. else is covered. They're paying for his coaching, actually. Mm-hmm. Dream. And uh, <laughs> and uh, so he's just he's yeah he's he's pretty much all in at this point for this to to achieve his goal. Mm-hmm. So, where do we start? Uh, I'll have a I'll have a go just because it's. This is yeah the majority of my athletes that I've worked with are very similar to this situation or exact situation. So basically, here I am yeah looking at that power profile, looking at results, and firstly trying to work out if they match up because sometimes you'll see, and this is something we all know riders with crazy good power profiles that can't put it together in a race so that's the first thing i'm looking at and then conversely he might be getting have some really good results in in the past but the power for profile is really lacking and so looking at headroom in either respect so looking yeah. at headroom of power if it's under he's underpowered or he's yeah or in races he's not performing yeah exactly yeah. and then that's going to define then what I'm looking to improve because, yeah, if the the profile's off the charts and he's not performing in races, then it's going to be a lot of a psychology thing, a race tactics thing or a race prep thing or other other factors like maybe even just race day nutrition, this kind of stuff that's falling down and they're going to be the quickest gains to be made. But, 
yeah, in this instance where you've got the power numbers there and race results, I'm going to just be spending a few days there just looking through and analysing, right, what's matching up here, what's not matching up, comparing it with a few riders that I might know in these races and have access to their power through Strava or whatever and then, yeah, look at basically, as you just said there, look for where there's headroom. What goal would you be looking at setting? Is that that's after this process? Uh so that's that's the first one of the the first things I'm doing um, with the the athlete um, once yeah once they hand their her training peaks over the the key to their data and um, looking through all of that and then in terms of what are you asking which goal does the athlete then target? Yeah, um, what does that look like? So if it's say we're we're looking at this time of year and there is no racing in. Australia currently because it's a bit all over the place then it is going to depend on where there's that headroom and obviously if they're just underperforming in races for their power then it's going to be a bit frustrating because you're not going to get any of that race practice but if that is the case then you're hoping crits come back in the summer and I would just be really trying to dial in this do a lot of demo race preps for crits even though they're not generally an a race as we say like it's not a race they might be targeting but you're just trying to practice all right what openers work what lead into races work and really just get some data here on what's making this rider feel really good for race day so really get some good feedback from them and they say oh, i was really flying this day after this prep uh when i had a, a big meal the night before and a small breakfast then I felt good this kind of stuff is what I'm trying to just get some simulations to go through with riders because there's so many factors that especially if someone's not from any kind of sports science background they're just completely not taking into effect like might just be having bacon and eggs before the 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 race this these kind of things that might be stopping the athlete with a good power profile from getting these race results. So that's the immediate goal would be basically just simulation prep, even if it's even, and if there's no racing, I'd be doing it for a training ride or for a power test. So saying, right, we're going to do a 20 minute test on this day, purely just to see how you're going. Cause then you get that physiological rather than just the self-reporting of how they feel. And do some basically race prep demos to try and assess what's going on with their performance there and and try and make sure that they can perform on the days that they want to perform. Anything to add, Jason? Um, yeah, I, I would agree with, I think, most of the stuff that Cyrus has said there. And there was quite a bit in there that was interesting from, from, for me to hear his perspective on. Um, um, but I think for me, and I don't know if it's just a case of one part voyeurism and uh, one part uh, kind of wanting to see um, what can change. Um, I think Cyrus hit on a good point with the, um, uh, you know, looking at the aspects of his routines and and his pre-race um, training and that type of stuff to kind of kind of pick apart to see if there's anything that could be improved. And 
very similar to that. I would be, I don't even know if, how long I could hold back on it. I'd be going through what he had been doing uh, with the other coach uh, and, and just kind of uh, picking it all apart and seeing what I thought might be good ideas uh, in, or interesting ideas. Um, and, uh, but maybe be going through and looking to see like if there was anything in his training that, that kind of stood out to me that was holding him back. Um, so, you know, yeah, so you're doing through. some type of analysis, like historical analysis to see if there's any trends of mm-hmm. performance based on mm-hmm. the work he was doing, specific work he was doing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to see if the old coach was modeling uh, how accurate, you know, his training logs were to see if I can retrospectively build the model back at least a couple of years to see, to so I can look at, quickly look at his and easily look at his past data in the terms that I would want to look at them in, right? So that I can see, you know, what is his highest CTL for the year? How often is he uh, in the red? How often was he fresh? Um, that type of thing. Well, How what kind has of he been training? Has he, is he a crammer yep. or does he do consistent hours? Exactly. Yep. 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 Um, what's his uh, training intensity distribution? What was it um, before he started with me and what was it uh, after? Did you say he's self-coach though too or not? Or he wasn't yeah. a club coach, now he's self-coach? Club so coach. yeah, and then what he... Um, and I've actually done this analysis with athletes before too is where I've cut, I've divided uh, their past data up and looked at training intensity distribution with the coach that was before me, the the training intensity distribution and the data maybe that was coming into a race that they did really well at. And then I actually had a, uh, an athlete where the results weren't going where we wanted uh, after she did really well at um, a race uh, where she PR'd. And then I was like, okay, well, I have to look at all of these three sections where the, the coach before me, coming into that race where she PR'd and then what happened after that. And so I would probably do something really similar um, with this individual to kind of see, um, is it, you know, not, not every coach is going to be um, looking at what I look at. But again, I, I wouldn't want to look at it in the terms of I'm going to come in and, and do a bunch of different things that are different and everything I do is going to be better for the athlete um you know and this is one thing that i've thought about with working with pros is i'd be really curious to see what they were doing and then it would be more about the fine tuning and the tweaking that i could do to the program that's already there um as opposed unless there's because if there you know this is a little bit different for this level because you know if he's really really talented and and he's just getting absolutely smashed and the coaching is really bad and he doesn't really understand how to coach himself either, um, then that could be a big bit that's holding him back. Um, and you, you could say that would ha- could happen at the pro level as well, but I don't think it would be able to happen at the magnitude it would happen at this level. Would you guys agree? Yeah. yeah. Uh, from, just from a... Over. Yeah, just from a, like a... 
a physiological development sense, I think you're just mm-hmm. making tweaks. You're not necessarily going to get big jumps here and there. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of doing this analysis myself this week for someone. Mm-hmm. And the, the big thing is just looking, where are they in their development phase? Like how much mm-hmm. more room do they have to progress yeah. potentially? Like have they hit their peak already? And is it a case where, okay, we kind of know where they've been, but they've, on, but they've only been there here and there because they haven't planned the process out um, in, a, in a structured way to try and replicate that over time? Or is it the, is it the fact that they, we, we actually can get to higher levels? So how do we get to those higher levels? Um, but that aside, we've had this discussion before about what the goal would actually be, like discussing with the athlete, um, we don't have to really go into the details, but discussing with the athlete, what's the goal that's going to get them noticed, especially from Australia at the national level, mm-hmm. um, yep. and then figuring out how to get to that goal. And so we're all, we're talking about yeah. the athletic side of things, physiological side of things, like getting all this prep work done. But ultimately, mm-hmm. how do we you know how do we pick that goal for them? I- Right, Damien and Cyrus, I want to ask you guys this question. Uh, I want your input on this. So when 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 Damien, when you said that the athlete was going to give it one year and it was just kind of that's it, right? I I can understand that in a sense of like, yeah, you got to move on with your life. Okay, I get it. But something about that just really didn't set with me either. Um, I might actually say let's try for two. Um, I think I'd, I mean, unless, I mean, obviously you have to take into consideration what the athletes overall goals are, but one year that seems pushing it. And it just seems like a doom, doom to failure in a sense. And that, and an athlete coming to me with that mindset might be a little bit of a red flag for me, depending on the context. I think, what do you guys think? I think the reason that they're giving the one year in this sense is the one year of under 23 racing left and that mm. is the time where the most most world tour teams will be looking at riders in their final year of under 23s and look at that generation there. So in this instance, tying in with Damien's goal question too, I think you're looking at mm-hmm. early season in Australia, so that is national championships massive goal because a result there immediately is you're then getting notice Mm -hmm. overseas and Mm -hmm. then also uh the sun tour as well um there's often invites for domestic riders to race that obviously that is not likely now because of covid but um, in a standard and and this isn't this isn't to down yeah and this isn't to downplay that goal Right, you can still have that goal uh, and try really hard to get him to a good spot within that one year that he has left in the U twenty three range. But the thing is, is that I, I would say, why you know, why not have yeah. both? That would be, like, there's nothing to say that once at twenty three. Even though you would say the likelihood is yeah. higher. And this is a... It's not to say it yeah, couldn't happen. this is happen, a conversation I right? have with so, uh, athletes I'm coaching and teammates as well in that they put so much pressure on that under-23 year. And I was 
the same uh, in that year, just thinking uh, this is like final chance because it's almost like uh, final school results kind of thing in that it's just the built up as if it's this. That's Australia. That's Australia. And that was, that's not a um, yeah. US thing. You guys are you're set up with the with the testing and everything like that. That's yeah. crazy to me. Um, but also the UK and the and Ireland, I know, are, are similar in their their A levels and their leaving set. In that it's that it's it's like it's this built up as if it's a be all and end all. But yeah, the reality is that it's not. Yeah. And we do see so many people come into the sport later, or so many people in. Oh, then we're talking about the sport and the high yeah, school. Yeah. <laughs> At the same time, it's the same yeah. thing for Australia, but, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so so many yeah. people coming in later or being in the sport and making the jump much later. I think yeah the reality is that you just want to keep improving and as we spoke about in the the amateur to pro episode uh if you're winning races good things seem to happen that's that's the main thing mm-hmm. so there's no reason if you're winning races as a 24 year old that you can't go pro so that's yeah yeah oh and one one little uh thing to throw in there how much of this do you think would switch if we had the almost the exact same scenario but the rider was female uh i think there's much less pressure than on the time because there's no female under 23 scene or female under 23 races Mm -hmm. um so and again as a coach you wouldn't be putting any pressure on the athlete for the time because as a coach you're obviously just trying to constantly improve your athlete and it's not as if oh if we don't get this improvement by this amount of time then there's no point that's never the mindset of the coach it's often just the athlete in their own head thinking i have to be this by Mm -hmm. this stage or that's it Mm -hmm. so i think as a coach it's a lot more simple because you're just consistently trying to improve the athlete but with a woman mm-hmm. in that sense, they're likely to have less time pressure on themselves uh, because we do see women going pro so often later in the piece. And then also women tend to be able to race for longer as well. So we see mm-hmm. so many women at the top level at 40 and beyond. So I think that's something where you can you can uh, have that conversation with the the athlete about okay there's no time pressure on this we we can we can take it slow and make sure that the improvement is consistent rather than yeah rising rapidly and then falling off a cliff there we go yeah yep yeah all right so uh we want to call it the end of a end of an episode here i think so all righty so i'm going to wrap it up here Thanks to my colleagues, Cyrus Monk and Damien Roos and everyone else who contributed. You can find out when we release podcasts by uh, following our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram accounts. On Twitter, we are at Cycling Club Pod. And on Instagram, we are Cycling Performance Club. And we also have a Facebook page now, so you can check us out there. Um, just remi- just a reminder that you can also contribute to the conversation by following the Cycling Performance Club on the Clubhouse app and joining in our weekly room there. Mm-hmm.